Hey, Brandon. Hey, Chris. I'm so cold. You're you're cold. I'm so cold. <laughs> I want all the time. So this is this is the part where you go. Why did I do this? Why did I Colorado? Uh, well, to be fair, the weather in Colorado is staggeringly awesome. Like 300 days out of the year. But the trade-off is that sometimes you like literally cannot stop fucking up a Slack message because your fingers are so cold. Ugh. You're like, they hurt. My fingers hurt. Yeah, like I kept I had this happen today where I was trying to ask a legitimate, like important work question in Slack, and I just like couldn't stop typing it wrong. And then I would, you know, like you do the thing in Slack, you can like you type and you hit enter, and then you're like, oh crap, I messed up something. You can hit the up key uh-huh. and it'll like let you edit it. I ended up doing that like five times because I would try and fix it and just like screw it up again. <laughs> I was like, my hands that don't work. <laughs> is there snow in, in your area? Yes, there is so much snow. Uh, it was 70 degrees on Saturday. And then on Sunday, it dropped like 50 degrees. <laughs> And we got, I think, like six inches of snow. Uh, And then the temperature continued to drop. And we got like eight to ten more inches of snow. And now, like, everything, like, it's just, if I look out my window, it's just white. Everything is like solid white Mm. and, and like deep, deep snow. And it hasn't been above freezing since Monday. It's now Wednesday. Yeah, no, that's. It's supposed to go above freezing at noon tomorrow. I'm not okay with first time any of that. <laughs> I am deeply not okay with this. Now, I mean, to be fair, there are definitely things I could do. But one thing I have learned is that having been born and raised in Texas, there's like a whole other level of preparedness and wardrobe and just like general accommodation uh, that you have to make for for this degree of cold mm-hmm. that I just wasn't raised with. Oh yeah, yeah. You have you have layers and layers. Like I, yeah. Like uh-huh. at one point, honest to God, my my friend and friend of the show, Eric Kelly, like I was talking to him about this my first winter in Colorado, and we were like on a call, and I was on camera, and he was like, "Well, I can see you. You're just wearing a t-shirt." And I was like, yeah, because I'm at home. And he was like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, and I was <laughs> like, why would I dress? Why would I wear layers inside? Like, you, you put a jacket on when you go outside, and then inside you don't need it. And he was like, but you just said you're cold. Like, this is what you do. And I was like, oh, shit, you're right. Yeah. I'm not. Like, it is literally never in 32 years of living occurred to me to, like, have to wear layers of clothing, like, like winter clothing inside like it's a normal thing yeah and and he was just like yeah you no, you've had to do that that's that's a thing i extremely remember this i don't think yeah i think there were you know 15 years where you just plan on wearing like thermal underwear they're literally called thermal underwear it's a thing you do i know it's wild yep so since then i have i've just i've purchased a lot of accessories <laughs> <laughs> I have like I have I have several different variants of socks that are like very like just different combinations of features and warmth levels and I don't know other crap that I just keep trying to find ways to keep my feet warm and I have I have so many jackets and like 
jackets that I can put on top of other jackets or they're waterproof or they're windproof or they're waterproof and windproof. And like I have, I have so much shit. You have so much Gore-Tex in your life now. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any sweaters, which I, I think I now understand why sweaters are a thing. Like living in Texas wearing a sweater sucks because they're like hard to take off. Yeah. And you don't, it's never cold enough in Texas that like going from inside to outside you just, I don't, I don't know. I never needed that base level of warmth because I would invariably get too hot. Yep. When you go into a building in Texas and it's like, my God, is your heater broken? Like, is it, did you like break the thermostat and it's stuck on high because it is so hot in here? But in Colorado, that doesn't happen. Like, or it doesn't happen very often because it's so cold sometimes that's like, even the places with the heaters on are still like cold because every time the door opens, half the heat in the building just leaves yep yeah wow well yes welcome to welcome to this whatever this is welcome to this your home is now a ski lodge and i hope you have lots of alcohol on hand yeah i I mean a lot of stuff starts to make sense like you know people in movies you hear like you like fall is a thing Mm mm-hmm you know, like people talk about like I had a friend one time who who was like, oh, man, I love fall cooking, like fall food. And I was like, what do you mean fall food? Yeah, like when- pumpkin pie? And he was like, no, that's Thanksgiving. And I was like, OK, well, what do you mean? And he was like, you know, like root vegetables and a lot of like soups. Yeah, soups time. Like yep. all this crap. And I was like, oh, I have not. I, I haven't like I've had soup, but it, like he listed a bunch of like things that i was like i've never had these like this is a lot of like cranberries and squash <laughs> i don't like what is this genre of food you're speaking of <laughs> you know harvest time you're like yeah yeah it's like what no we're still we're still we still have watermelons at the supermarket it's fine over here <laughs> i'm still i'm yeah. still i'm still smoking briskets out there it's oh, the life it's a it's a 10 month a year brisket season out here that sounds Nice. There are nice things about it, but I do, I get nostalgic sometimes. I sometimes painfully so, cause I, I grew up in a, um, I went to high school in like a ski resort town, Park City. And so people, you know, that's like a destination for other people. It kind of was shitty to grow up in cause there's nothing for kids to do, uh, except yeah. cope with the winter by winter sports. And so I got really into snowboarding and went, I don't know, three times a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a lot. I snowboarded a lot. And you do get kind of like, I do get super nostalgic to think about, you know, the, the wintry season being wintry and it is kind for anybody who's experienced real winter, it is the saddest fucking thing to drive around in Texas and look at people's like elaborate attempts to be seasonal in December when it's like 67 degrees out and they've got, yeah. you know, they've rolled out fake snow on their roofs or driveway or something. And these yeah. fake plastic snowmen that they got from home Depot, inflatable snowmen or whatever. It's just, it, I, I, it's hard not to look at that and feel like, Oh, you poor thing. You, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you uh, keep trying to make winter happen. It's not going to happen. Is it like over the weekend? I like was wa- I went somewhere and I was wearing like boots, jeans, like two shirts, a jacket, gloves, a scarf, and a hat. And they're all things that like people want to wear. Like it's winter time, and yeah. this is like 
a look I want to put together. Yep. But like it wasn't a look. It was like I need this all is these function. things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so these were invented to retain body heat. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's more than just, you know, a seasonal fashion. Uh, I get it. Meanwhile, in Texas, my cold taps now are finally running mostly cold. Oh, God. Do you know that thing like late in the yeah. summer into September? And that's the worst like, feeling. You got hot water coming out of your cold taps and you're like, fuck yeah. this shit. I am over this. Just the heat yeah. soak is in my, it's in my water. Really? I know. I'm I drinking know. a like the, warm glass of water. The only thing worse is when you jump in a pool. <laughs> and you're like, it's going to be you so jump refreshing. In a pool, and you're like, and you're like, fuck me. This pool is hot. <laughs> like what is happening? Yep. Yeah. The end of the <laughs> summer is the worst. Yeah, it's not fun. Winter, <laughs> it's cool. Overall, I think I can adjust. My wife has like a little fan heater thing that she uses, which honestly, maybe I should just buy one of those and it would solve literally every problem I have. Uh, and I could spend $35 and quit complaining. Maybe I'll try that this year. Yeah, as long as you but, have fire insurance, you're good. Uh, yeah you will burn uh, your house I mean, down 95 percent chance <laughs> well i mean luckily it's, it's not like a space heater it's like something less intense but it seems to like do a little bit i don't know maybe i will burn my house down that would suck but it's still like dude when it snows it's amazing yeah have you been outside in the snow at night and you're like this is like an anechoic chamber like the quietest place yeah. on earth is is walking around I don't even outside. Understand. Why is that? I mean, snow is like the perfect sound absorbing material. Oh, oh, so it really is like a thing that's happening. It's not yeah. just like my imagination going like, man, it sure is quiet. No, out you here. coated really, the fucking like, earth in acoustic foam. It is. It is eerie. Yeah. Also, like driving around while it's snowing is like driving on an alien planet. Mm -hmm. yeah. It is weird and cool i will never forget driving to the in-laws house for uh christmas eve dinner and coming around a bend in a in this is on i-215 that's encircles salt lake city and come around the bend in this in the southeast corner and the the person in front of me so i'm coming around in my like subaru or whatever with my winter tires on feeling like a fucking champ and the person in front of me is not in that situation and comes around the bend to turn like after their turn and their car keeps turning after they're done turning and they just sort of like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. and I see them do like three loop-de-loops in front of us. And I'm like, I don't know that I've got the ability to stop before I just sort of tag whatever part of their car is facing me at this point. <laughs> and, uh, amazingly enough, after like three rotations, they correct. And then like, like kind of wiggle back into mm -hmm. forward motion, which was like stunt driving shit. I was very impressed. Yeah. Uh, and I, we didn't die that night. Um, I don't miss any of that. That has, I've noticed that this winter, like last winter, I really wasn't sure what would happen with the whole driving situation. And this winter, I have already developed a much deeper respect and fear of like the phenomenon of driving on like completely snow covered roads. And it's, it's, it's partly what you're able to do, but it's way more the fear of what other people will do. And like within one year, like we had this snowstorm. I was driving to the gym and I saw someone who like clearly did not have snow tires driving in this epic snowstorm. And in my head, I was just like, this is not a fucking game. <laughs> like you need to get snow tires or get off the road. 
Like, <laughs> we are not playing. You are going to careen into someone, and it might be me, and I'm going to be so pissed. I remember driving in a snowstorm near my house when, while I was dating my wife, and I look over, and this, like, four-car pileup is on the right side of the road, and I see a car that looks like my wife's car. I'm like, that looks like that looks like her car. And and it was her car, and I see her on the side of the road crying, trying to figure out what to do. Uh, and I'm like, mm, I'm going to go ahead and pull over here and, like, help her, like, <laughs> get her shit situated. But it was, like, on a downhill slope, and somebody tried to stop, and nobody, you know, there's just, there's no stopping distance. And so it was this uh, nasty situation. And you learn, like, what if not outside? What if not going outside? What if home? Stay home. Here, here, good. <laughs> yeah, uh, people kept telling, like, when I first moved here, I was asking people about, like, you know, should I really buy snow tires? Like, are those like, I thought snow tires were like, I live literally in the mountains at 15,000 feet and I have to like trek through blizzards. No, that's when I need snow tires. And they were like, no, no, you, you probably need snow tires, but actually what you should just do is not go anywhere. <laughs> and I, and I was like, I don't, that doesn't seem like a good option. I don't really understand that. And then now I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, even with snow tires, this is such a pain in the ass. Yeah, going places It'll is all overrated. Melt in three days. I can yeah. stay home for three days. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're getting the full winter experience just in time to park a motorcycle you've been riding for like three weeks. So good. My favorite <laughs> I'm so thing. So sorry. Are you going through withdrawals yet? Oh, my God. Yeah. I watched so many motorcycle YouTube videos today. <laughs> That's funny and sad. <laughs> Welcome to Copy Paste Your Feed. That's funny and sad. <laughs> That's our new tagline. Um, um Yeah, it, it is it is uh tragic, but also this is Colorado, so it's gonna be like in the fifties next week and sunny. So I think I think it's not the complete end of my motorcycle riding. But what it does really mean is that when spring rolls around, it's going to be like, holy shit, I didn't know it could be this good. I never knew. It's true. You're the first the first thaw that you get. Like the first. So right now in Texas, we're having like kind of a freak cold snap for October. Usually this is the best part of the year. If this had happened, like if this had happened, you know, two weeks ago during ACL, people would be losing their shit. But as it is, it's, you know, it's fine. It's Halloween, whatever. The, uh. 45 degrees is like lockdown, you know, like, oh, this is 45 degrees here is like zero in Colorado. Like, oh, my God, nobody go anywhere. And it's in Colorado and Utah and places like that. When it gets up to 45 degrees again in the spring, I remember literally like 40 when seeing that the forecast called for the snow to start melting and it being 45 degrees. I'm like, yeah, clean out the garage y'all. Like <laughs> it's short weather. Yep, it's happening. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's, uh, it's different. It's a different life. Yeah. Here in the snow. I mean, I do, I do. I gotta admit, sometimes I miss it. I miss it dearly. I just never want to like break my back shoveling shit ever again. Like, yeah. But you don't have to do that if you have other people for such things. True. Yeah. So I guess there are ways to manage that. It's just, I just remember so many mornings getting up at like 530 so I could break my back for an hour and a half before I went to work and like already in a pissed off mood. Like I'm just yeah. a better person now that I don't have to think about that in the winter. So people are like, why are you in such a good mood? Like 
you know, it's been like 10 years since I've had to shovel a driveway and I'm so grateful, <laughs> grateful every day. <laughs> that That is still paying dividends yeah. for me every day. A decade later. It just adds so much to my bottom line of human contentment. <laughs> oh, all right. We should probably stop talking about the weather yeah. as much as I love talking. About We're the best at it, though. We are. We are the best at it. <laughs> Uh, no, I want to talk to you about television, weather and television. We're really, this is the small talk episode. Oh huh? yeah. This episode's <laughs> going to be a banger. It is a club banger. Uh, no, I need to talk to you about television because it's very serious. So last night I finished the show succession and you pushed me to the show multiple times over an like i mean this show is only a couple years old but you've been trying to sell it to me for exactly as long as it's been on the air um Mm -hmm. and i was like yeah yeah yeah, i'll get to it i'll get to it but i'm kind of already on the billions tip so like do i need another show about asshole billionaires oh boy Hmm. i'm trying to figure out where and how to unpack this so Mm -hmm. the question is do i want to like sound like a spoiler warning here for people to say hey if you haven't watched all the way through season two we're just gonna like fuck your shit up at this point i think i think i think we yeah i think i think spoiler warning it sucks because like you if, need to watch the show if there's a part you can talk about before yeah like we could like try and cover some okay broad stuff and then like hit the spoiler warning yeah okay so we'll we will we will cross a threshold at which point we're gonna tell you to tuck yourself into bed kiddos because it's gonna get fucking real but I can't I can't separate some of the plot point elements from some of the emotional impact it's had on me, which has been, in your words, most unusual uh, for for people having a certain reaction to a show. Very nearly an allergic reaction, an involuntary yeah. in many ways reaction. Uh, but I want you can you kind of like at a high level talk about like what the show is? What is the succession? Why do you like it? so what the show is it's a show about a family it's a show about um this family whose patriarch logan roy runs like one of if not the biggest media conglomerate in the world um i think it's probably fair to say that he is heavily based on rupert murdoch uh, and his family Um, the succession part is the fact that Logan Roy is quite old and at the beginning of the show, um, very sick. And there is a big question as to who is going to be his successor and take over this massive media empire, really industry empire. Cause I think at this point they've, they've branched out into other things, but they are, you know, they are a thing that like affects the global economy on their own. And there is an internal power struggle between the, his three children. I guess he technically has four children, but one of them doesn't count, which is a joke. The show actually, I think makes in the last episode Yep, and them trying to like figure out like who, who's going to take over. Is it even going to be one of them? Is it going to be someone else? And that's like the, that's like the top level like cut and dry version of the show. But that that is a big part of it. But what that doesn't communicate is the frankly amazing performances and writing um for like 
how nuanced and strange and, and 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 like human and also monstrous all of these characters are uh in the process of this like power struggle and and scheming and backstabbing and you know like it's so easy to want to compare it to billions because billions is a show about rich people scheming and backstabbing but it is it is uh a show about that in a very fictional way right like it is like almost like a power fantasy level of of rich people scheming um you know it's big and flashy and there's like subterfuge and you know chuck pulls off like a big scheme and you're like oh my god and billions is like what if what if real life though like what if you had a lot of money and you could do you could do big conspiratorial things but the big conspiratorial things were just like awful and hurtful or like very mundanely terrible. You know, like there's not like someone rigging a juice company to like tank a stock price through this massive elaborate scheme, which is the thing that happens on billions. It's more like we just covered up massive misdeeds uh and then like buried someone in legal trouble or something and like destroyed their life in a very real and meaningful way um i don't know like it's hard to say why i love it so much without like i i don't know how to explain i don't think i can talk about what the show actually is in a way that will convey just how incredible it is to watch because a lot of it is like the entire experience. It is the acting, the writing, the music, quite frankly, the way everything is shot. I mean, the whole, it is like an hour of just like television as a mixed medium of art, mixed medium, like in the sense of like, it, it relies on many other art forms, like photography and acting and music and all this crap. And it all comes together and it all like the the whole is so much greater than the sum of its parts. And the, the, the individual parts are already really good. But like, God, when you put it all together, there's something magical happening. Yeah, I think I mean, it's I agree with everything that you've said. And the thing that keeps striking me as you talk about this stuff, I really love what you talk about with the the mixed media thing where where I think at its best, that's what filmmaking is. And this is like extremely long form filmmaking. And we talked earlier about why I love Ken Burns documentaries. And this country music one was great because it builds and builds and builds and builds. This is like that, but with many more people operating at the highest possible level layering. And and this is a very weird metaphor, so forgive me. But I I think of it like you think of like a puff pastry, which is like, comes together as like very, very thin vellum paper, thin layers of like crust on top of each other, on top of each other. And individually, those things are useless. But then you like layer together and you're like, oh, that's pretty fucking good. Like everything comes together and it builds and it builds. And so like the first episode, I don't remember what I said to you about after watching the first episode. I'm like, "Mm, it's good. Yeah. I mean, it's good. What can I say? It's good. By the end of the second season, I was absolutely like... I have to separate, I'm going to separate my personal feelings from the show, which we'll get into, I hope, uh, from my, uh, admiration for it. 
for just watching this thing unfold in front of me over the course of two seasons, they just don't stop. It just builds and builds and builds and gets better and better and better with very little variance in the quality. The, uh, yeah, it's just an astonishing achievement <laughs> in television. Uh, I, I think you're going to look back on this show as the, uh, you know, the Sopranos, the wire, like you're, it's going it, to, it hits that top tier of art being art happening on television in a way that couldn't in cinema. It's just a different form. This is a long form story that needs real time to breathe and it needs actors that can carry the weight of seasons of events happening and carry their own arc. And the, the other miracle of this show is each individual character in the show is deeply loathsome. They are all deeply complicit in some horrible shit. And the show somehow makes you care about what happens to them. And you have to, I keep reminding myself like, yeah. fuck all these people. Well, I, I, I was actually, I was thinking about that today. Cause, cause that you mentioned that last night when you were texting me about the finale. And I think the thing that is really pretty impressive about it. And that the reason that that happens is because if you contrast it with billions, you know, you have Bobby and X and not Bobby and X, Chuck and X, they are they they have some human sides, but in a lot of cases they are largely like one dimensional. They are forces titans. The just whole point, in yeah. The whole point yeah. is these titanic forces in uh, battling one another, and you can see at the end of the third season, or what was that fifth season? I don't know. Whatever the last season was that I found disappointing, it left you sort of like, oh, we're gonna tee those people back up, and now there's three titans to to clash, and I'm like, you know, I'm kind of actually tired. Like, I'll go with you on the next ride, but I didn't enjoy this last one, and I'm not, you're not inspiring confidence that you've got this next one either. Yeah. So I think the thing with billions is that because they're Titans, the bad things that they do are just like these expressions of power in this epic battle that they're having. Whereas in succession, one of the things that you're constantly aware of is the deep nuanced psychological trauma. All of his kids have suffered for their entire lives. Uh, not not only because he is an incredibly rich and powerful person in general, but because he is uniquely awful in the way that he manipulates everyone around him, especially his children. Uh, and so you see all of his kids doing these just utterly deplorable things. But I think the reason that you still feel sympathy for them is that you see it's not it's not this expression of power and these titans clashing. It's these people desperately attempting to cope with like an entire lifetime of trauma and lacking like a compass for what a, like a normal measured response to a lot of things is. And then falling on to like, like I, like I think about Shiv Shiv is my favorite character despite being also deplorable, but like Shiv does some pretty shady stuff mostly in her relationship and then at the end of the second season it it spills over into more shady stuff and it's like shitty like you know her her husband is like 
one of the more lovable characters, despite also being a complete shitbag. You you want to you want to immediately eject this person from Earth when you meet yeah. him, and and that doesn't necessarily go away. He's horrible, and yeah, but he's a person. <laughs> yeah, he's like deeply a person. He's he's from Minneapolis, and she treats him like shit uh, in in ways that like in ways that are. I don't know, like the thing there's a thing that happens in the first season that I was just like, I cannot believe this. I I cannot believe that this is happening. Uh and the in the way I don't know, yeah. But like the reason it's it's happening is because like Shiv is also so frequently like bouncing around trying to overcome the fact that like you see how her dad plays her against her brothers and is constantly like playing all of the kids against each other and they're all so desperate for approval and it's causing them and if they're old enough now that it's so deeply cemented in their like very the fiber of their being that it comes out in the strangest most like miserable ways but you can kind of see the weird twisted logic they're using to make those decisions Whereas in Billions, it's just like titans of industry yeah. doing titan stuff, which is fun, but not. it's not nearly as, like, you, you don't sit there and sympathize with them. Yeah, one thing, one important difference is they do have kids, and their kids don't exist in the Billions show. Like, it's like, mm, I don't know what to do with these kids. They don't move the plot forward, so we're going to pretend like everybody's single again. And... Because it does, it's it's incidental. The existence of families is incidental, and all all of the drama in Succession comes from the fact that they're family. Um, and I think that's why. And and the exploration around this deeply dysfunctional family, and how much that dysfunction owes to a clear, deep narcissist, compulsive liar, uh, manipulator, running a family that happened to become a multi-billionaire and one of the most powerful people in the world. Watching that, like in billions, you're like, Oh, I could do it. I could be a billionaire. I could swing that. (laughs) And in this, it's like, Oh my God, this money and this power is poison. It's absolute poison. And you see all these people coping. They're in fucking, they're in Chernobyl absorbing the radiation of the de- the dehumanization that occurs when you possess this much uh, comfort, luxury, and power in your life, uh, and trying to figure out how, like, they can't breathe. They don't understand that they can't breathe. They can't live. They're not experiencing life. They're experiencing a fake version of it, and none of them can know. None of them know that. Uh, they just know they're in pain. <laughs> I, I think. I think we should flip flipped a bit on the okay. spoiler warning. It's time, baby. It's time. All right. Okay. So spoiler warning. If you care about spoilers and haven't seen all of Succession, you should stop and go watch all of it. Or if you just want parts of Succession spoiled for you, then like blow on through. Yeah. It, but please don't. This is this is like passing up. This is like, you know, this is like passing up The Wire in 1999. This is like passing up The Sopranos in 97. This is like passing up on, you know, one of the greatest media like experiences of modern television history. Uh, this is very different from billions. It's not just fun. It's like, if you don't like it, I'll give you your money back. Uh, I, that's not true. I can't back that up. 
<laughs> okay. All right, so spoiler warning. Yeah, it's happening. All right, I have a question for you. Why you you were just kind of alluding to like they don't they don't know how else to live, all this other stuff. Okay, but I have wondered this for the entirety of succession. Connor exists. Right. Connor, the fourth sibling, is actually the first sibling, the oldest kid. Yeah, but third is third a, tier, first marriage. <laughs> he is a colossal fuck up. <laughs> a colossal fuck up in a way that only like a filthy rich family could produce, which is to say that he has he owns a ranch uh that he that is named after like a famous World War One battle. He doesn't work at all. He's not even like nominally employed in the, the family business. Um he has a an escort that he like brings with him and introduces as his girlfriend, but he's explicitly paying. But he's kind of convinced himself that she's really his girlfriend. And eventually like, I think they end up either getting married or just like, he basically like buys her out. Yeah. Of her. He buys deal. her. Con- he basically buys a lifetime contract with an escort, yeah. which is yeah. F- By like financing, literally financing an off Broadway play that she wants to write because the real thing she wanted to do was be a playwright. And so, she like, you know, they are together, but he's like financing her play. But okay, he has all of this. He has so much money. He weighs, he spends like half a million dollars on Napoleon paraphernalia, which is like is hilarious. Yes, but like Napoleon's he has, pickled, he has so pickled much tick. money that he like runs his comp or has this ranch, does whatever he wants, travels the world. He. Runs, he starts campaigning for president, like largely on his own dime. So if that is the case, why are the other three kids throwing themselves at Waystar Royco on a daily basis? If, if it is the case that as a child of Logan Roy, you have so much money in your trust fund that you can do all the dumb shit Connor does, and he lives extremely well. Like, not not like extremely well for a person who doesn't work. He lives like rich beyond your wildest dreams well without having to work and but the other three kids are like fucking grinding to get in at waystar i am i am fucking astonished that you're asking this question i am astonished because it tells me how differently we see the world and and it a hundred percent tells me that you had a really healthy upbringing (laughs) well I also am just setting you up for a thing that I know. Okay. Gonna... <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I I had this thought periodically because the thing that really shocks me here's here's my here's my main thing. You run through this entire se- season, you know, two seasons of television, and the end of the second season, here is this fucker whose retirement age, beyond retirement age, physically incapable of continuing to run his own company, and it's all he's got in the entire world. It's all he's got. And so he's like got his claws dug into this company to where he's fighting and, and compromising, not just like human morals, which he clearly doesn't have, where where he'll hurt people to keep what he has, but he's compromising his own values of independence and uh, like going after the CNN equivalent and saying, hey, I want to acquire the, the media company that owns CNN because this, you know, this really matters to me uh, that to to block 
losing control and being paid out to the tune of, you know, tens of billions of dollars or a hundred billion dollars to disappear as the controlling interest of this media empire that he built. He cannot let it go. His kids, and, and what's so shocking and amazing to me about this show is they accurately portray this dynamic without sticking their finger and pointing at it. So whoever does this is doing their homework. And I have seen all of these things up close in a way that made me physically sick. And I was texting you last night. I'm like, I'm physically sick watching this right now. And I can't stop. I, I, um, I am in a unique position uh, as a person watching the show. I'm not, a, I didn't, wasn't raised by a billionaire or whatever, but I was sure as shit raised by an aspiring one. Mm -hmm. But here's this retirement age dude who couldn't let go who won't let go of the control of his company, even though it's in the best interest of his company, himself, his family, to ride off into the sunset and let's all be billionaires and figure out what influence we want to have on the world with billions of dollars. It's not yeah. about the money. They have the money either way, right? And so Connor is an idiot. And that's just like Connor's fun because he's just the idiot. And yeah. he really is an idiot. He's just like useless. Uh, he's not, he's not the fuck up necessarily. He's just useless. And, and what's amazing about him is he just doesn't understand the rules of the family because he came from the first marriage. He wasn't mm -hmm. part of this sort of cutthroat group. He probably came of age before this media empire really became a real thing and didn't show the killer instinct that his dad was looking for. So he just got shuttled off to the side. I can tell you that this happens in families that mm -hmm. uh, it happened in my family. I can say that, that uh, the difference was I was the oldest. And then I, the one just younger than me was labeled the fuck up and kind of shuttled off to the side and not included in family stuff. And everybody else was jockeying for position to be the chosen, like to be the, you know, the chosen person in the family. Yeah. It's just, it, it's about, the reason that this happened, so I was, I was trying to identify first for why this happens for Logan, because that's the crux of all of this stuff. So it happens for Logan Roy because he can't let go. His ego is wrapped up in this kind of control that he has and influence he has over the world through the control of this media empire. He doesn't have anything if he doesn't have it. He'd kill himself. Mm -hmm. He's got nothing. Uh, he, values, he values human relationships at essentially zero. He values nothing except for the extension of himself that exists in the form of this company and its influence. His kids have no identity. They have nothing. Yeah. And, and this is what narcissists do is they raise kids to be echoes or sort of like ghosts of themselves that like wander the earth in their own, you know, trying to be them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they're never allowed to best them in any way. So that's why Connor is like, uh, shuttle off the side and give him whatever he wants. Cause it's like, Oh, you're not threatening me in any way. You're the fuck up. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, when Naomi told Ken in the last episode, your dad, your dad only loves the broken version of you. That's, I just was, that was devastating to me. Yeah. Cause it's like the only, the only way kids can receive love is if they are in his image, but not so much in his image that they threaten him. Yeah. This stuff is so bloody accurate and scary. Gary. And I can tell you as a person who was, man, this is too much. This is revealing too much, but I was raised in a home that was very like this three boys and a girl. Mm -hmm. 
a parent that saw the world in a similar way that, hey, I should be running things. And kids, my kids should be like me. And the adult versions of those kids that grow up have some real challenges to work through. And I would never, yeah. I would never have made it if I had that much power and money in play. I didn't stop working for my dad until I was 30 fucking years old. Oof. Wow. And the CEO of the company that took over for him that I was at at the time when they laid me off finally said, Brandon, you are, you know, you're so talented. You're a wonderful person. You need to get as far away from your dad as you can. And I was like, what does that mean? And you know what happened? <laughs> My dad hired me for his next thing. Oh, I'll tell you this quick story. And then I want to like, I, I realize this is getting really personal. I, but I have a follow up okay, question. Okay. okay. I'll tell, I'm going to save, I'm going to save this one because it's, it's a plot point in the show and my life. So okay. I'm going to save okay. it. Okay. So I have, I have a follow up question to see it. Uh, this one. I actually, I, I'm not, this one. I really don't have any insight. Into. The, the other one, it was like, I, I was know a tea why up. they're yeah. there. It was a tee up. This one. I really am curious if you have insight into this because I've never fully understood it, but a frequent thing that happens in succession, especially in season two, is season two, they're kind of like under fire. They're facing a hostile takeover. And Brian Cranston, Logan Roy, is doing pretty much everything he can to try Brian and Cox. keep control of his company. Oh, yeah, Brian Cox. Yeah, Brian Cranston. That would be a different show. Yeah, that would be a different show. So one of the things that he keeps doing is bringing all three of his kids to some gathering. And he's like, all right, we have, we have a really nuanced sensitive situation and he all three of you to be like running game on this room in a coordinated way and i need like if everything goes right we're gonna pull this off and invariably it does not work because of course it doesn't work like all three of those kids are so fucked up and none of them trust each other or him or themselves like why why does Brian Cranston, Brian Cox keep thinking that putting all of his family in a room and asking them to follow a very tight, coordinated strategy is ever going to work when he knows that like he he has like intentionally just like fucked them all up so much that there's no way that's human that there's no way that's a feasible plan. So this is this is where this is where you demonstrate that you were an economics major and not a psychology major. <laughs> and I wasn't either, but I've studied humans for a while since then, since college. And um, narcissists are an interesting breed. And I should probably finish the book I'm reading about them, but I just couldn't get through it. Narcissists tie their circle really tight. At the, I love in the last episode where he goes, you know, like, well, they're, you know, they're out there and they're fucking hyenas and, you know, whatever. They're going to operate the way they operate. But we're a family. Like that's any different, right? That he's acting like, hey, we're not acting all in self-interest. We're acting in collective interest. But what he really means is we're all acting in my interest. And so he's created this gravity well where his interest is the collective interest. And they, and you see that reinforced in the show over and over and over again. This is, this is basically, this is a warning about the perils of being raised by a narcissist. And the answer is you're basically fucked. Uh <laughs> And you're going to have to claw your way out of it when we'll get to the ending later and why that was so satisfying uh, that that you're there's like a 75 percent chance you don't claw your way out of being raised by a narcissist. Um, 
So the reason that that happens is he literally thinks over and over again, this is the Trump situation all over again, right? Like that. Why mm. is he doing this? Why is he giving fucking Jared Kushner and his daughter who have no yeah. meaningful security clearance wide authority over people who actually know what the fuck they're doing? And it is, it is, this is real life. This is what narcissists do is they create this circle of people that they view through blood to be loyal to them. Uh, and there's only one rule, which is loyal to the family, which means by proxy loyal to me. Uh, yeah. And in reality, lots of backstabbing and scheming is occurring. But there is something to that. There's a reason that that works, that there's a reason that's like a carryover from medieval intrigue or whatever, that it's at the end of the day, family is kind of going to stick together in ways that other people won't because uh, yeah. there is something there where you feel like you there's another layer of interest that you're acting in. Uh, some of it is delusion, the delusion of a narcissist of, hey, we're and they close their ranks real hard. I can tell mm -hmm. you I'm, uh, I'm trying not to get too personal with this, but I'm telling you they close their ranks real hard. They shut everyone else out and say, we're all we have. Uh, and okay. that will win at the end of the day. You will yeah. get those people to, to like, you keep seeing Ken shutting off his other relationships. They make it super obvious, but it's also pretty accurate that all, all the women and people in his life that he brings to his dad that miss his approval. Um, you know, we can talk about Ken's sort of like long play stuff, but I think these were real moments where he brought these people for his dad's approval. And he's like, nope. And he's like, all right, not in the circle. Yeah. This is it. At the end of the day, it's me and my four kids and fuck the rest of the world, including my wife, including your spouses, including any other relationships you ever have in your life. This is it. This is it's us against the world. And that's yeah. how narcissists close that loop and, and, and keep it that that tight and reinforce that sphere of control over those people. It's great. I, the, <laughs> the fact that this is displayed in the show that it is astonishing insight. I don't understand how the people who create it and the, then seeing like Adam McKay and uh, Will Ferrell as the executive producers, like, I mean, I get, you know, the big short was, and vice was like, wow, this is serious stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but like really the anchorman, two people are doing this. Well, yeah, it probably speaks I mean, to I Jesse think, Armstrong a lot too. Yeah. I think it's Jesse Armstrong. Like executive producer can mean a lot of things. Yeah. I think a lot of times it just means like your name opens some doors for us and then you get some money on the back end. Executive producer usually means some heavy lifting. In fact, often executive producers, but I mean, obviously a showrunner is the showrunner. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that Jesse Armstrong also worked on In the Loop, which is a fucking incredible movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I hadn't even it's, heard of it. Uh, it's, the, it's the same people who went on to make Veep. Okay. But it's a movie. It's basically a movie version of Be of Veep set in like British Parliament, where a guy, a, a a PM, like a Minister of Parliament, just like some like low level dude, gives a speech that like kind of implies that war in Iraq is going to happen. But what he said, all he says is that war is unforeseeable, and it sets off this massive chain of events. Where they'll, I mean, it's just like, it's incredible. And like Doctor Who, the most recent Doctor Who is in it. And he's like the head of the intelligence agency. And he just like shows up and berates the hell out of him. 
for like constantly he's just constantly like trying to wheel and deal and it's all it's very similar like it's a lot of the like handheld camera and just like behind the scenes like shit going on and also just like two hours of the most epic burns you've ever heard <laughs> in your life uh which is also a very succession uh it's very good you should definitely watch it okay but it makes a lot of sense that he was related to that like those are his two i think big credits outside of like peep show is in the loop in oh i loved peep show that was a great show a lot of so, it yeah anyway huh tangent back to succession yeah i i mean okay so i think uh i think i want to delve into is it too early to talk about the way that it played out at the end because no, i'm it. still processing this um i mean i think yeah go for it because there's like it's not let's, entirely let's, clear let's what come all back. happened. So let's come back. Let's come back to the. Uh, I think season one. Maybe I need to go re- rewatch season one. But I was like, man, that was a great show. Great show. Season two, I'm still like reeling from the yeah. experience of watching season two. It, it just yeah. It was like a different level. Uh, the episode where all I can think about is the bore on the floor episode was so fucking oh batshit bonkers. That like led to Tom doing the human furniture thing where Tom was like using a, a man as a fucking footstool. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and Greg and cousin Greg is like, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with this human furniture stuff. Like, yeah. So like bore on the floor was, I was like, what one is of the moments in succession where I was sitting there watching it and just going like, I cannot believe that this is happening. I can't believe the, like this whole episode was building to something. And the whole episode is basically like a bottle episode where they're they're in like this retreat, the company retreat, and there's been a leak uh, where some author has like gotten a hold of information about Logan Roy that they shouldn't have gotten a hold of, and so someone has leaked it, and the whole time you like you know you know Logan is going to do something. He hasn't even, like, announced that he knows, right? He's, like, playing it cool, but then doing this shit that's just, like, obviously threatening. And so you know it's going to come to a head, but you, I never in a million years would have envisioned that he will, like, off the cuff invent a game called Bore on the Floor where he, like, bullies three people into crawling around on the ground fighting literally fighting over a sausage which is why it's bore on the floor thinking like like, who knows what's going to happen if i don't win this game it could be my job it could be whatever the power dynamic there is absolutely fucked and they're literally crawling around oinking like a pig yeah these are like wealthy people yeah dealing with like college you know frat 1970s college frat level humiliation. I, I you say he made it up on the fly. I guarantee the intent of that of that was that this came from his sort of upbringing in the orphanage yeah. or whatever uh, yeah. from Scotland. Like that, this all feels of a piece with his sort that's of true. That's true. Like wild ass, like parentless, un unhappy, unforgiving. This is also interesting because my grandfather was raised in an orphanage and similarly like the reason this seems familiar to me i was like this seems like the kind of shit they would have pulled in the orphanage in which like you're basically like your disciplinarian your experience of a father figure is when you go to their office to be paddled essentially 
So like th this was not a happy childhood and they kind of keep bringing that forward. So, but this is, you learn that after the bore on the floor shit happened. So it feels like this wild ass non sequitur. I think it might've made more sense if it had been inverted, but I think, I think this backstory had been thought through so much that I was like, yep, this is something that he had endured and he thinks yeah. it's a cute thing to do as a power play with people. It was the most fucked up thing I've seen on television, maybe in my adult life. Yeah. It was quite a, a thing to experience. And in, in, a, in a truly succession way, it's not like you're, you're not watching it in sheer horror. Like you're watching it with this weird mix of like, it's almost funny for part of it. Mm -hmm. And until you realize like, this is really going to happen. Holy shit. And then it just like morphs into like utter disbelief. And then also like, em like embarrassment on their behalf. But it's, it's not like, it's not, it's, it, that's where the whole like mixed media thing comes in because the way it's shot, the way a lot of it is acted, it's not like you're watching the world's worst like college hazing scene no. where it's just like scary almost. It's, it's, it's so strange the way that the show kind of like builds to this climactic moment in a way that like, really you're just like that's not it's not really gonna happen it's not really gonna happen and then some of the way people react it's like it's funny it's almost like a joke and then all of a sudden it's just like holy shit this is not a joke right oh my god there was no reason to have it's like any actual thing that is I, I any fact in fact anytime this has happened in the show where something truly terrifying is happening you're with the characters where you're like well this isn't real because that's what would happen when something truly terrible is happening that's how you react yeah. you go well, this isn't real. This isn't really happening. And they, yeah. instead of using music and cues and things to kind of tip off something bad is happening or about to happen. And then now it's happening. It's like, no, no, no. Oh fuck. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> it is the most accurately, per accurately portrayed, like weird, scary, horrible shit happening. Maybe that's ever happened on, on television. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you pointed out, it's followed followed up in the next episode by a scene where Tom, the like complete shit bag, but also like weirdly lovable sometime, like not lovable, but like you feel bad for him is just like casually playing a game, a, a quote unquote game where he uses his assistant as a human footstool. And, and it is again, like hilarious. And it's like at the time, like my wife and I were like laughing. Yeah. And then, but then it's like, but also it's terrible. Like, yeah, he's just copying and pasting from Stack Overflow on management at this point. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, I guess this is what yeah. you do when you're powerful and wealthy. Yeah. He's like, yeah, man, it's, you know, it's a game we play. Like, we just lost a bet, and, and whoever loses has to be human furniture. I think at one point, Greg's like, well, but have you ever lost the bet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, man. So I want to talk it's, about our favorite characters. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think I know yours. I'm going to, I'm not going to guess, but I think I know who's, I, I mean, I already kind of blew you, the lid off of it a little. Okay. Who is it again? Cause I said earlier, I said earlier that Shiv is my favorite character. Okay. Why? I find her the most interesting. I think in maybe a weird way, I relate to her the most as much insofar as like one can relate to one of these people. I can see this personality wise. I can see it. Yeah, it's weird. Like it's so I think you mentioned this earlier where it was like it's so strange to say 
any character is your favorite or that you relate to them because they're all terrible. But given given that caveat that you're kind of just working with a different baseline, like Shiv is the one that I think I relate to the most. I don't know. She, she's interesting. She she notably is is outside of the company for the first season completely. She's like a political consultant for a for even part of the second season. Like she is not involved in the company at all. She's really fact, interested she's in only, being a non-combatant. Like that's yeah. her deal. Yeah. And like she's she's combative in many other ways, but she is like specifically like I am not doing this bullshit. Like I'm gonna go, I'm I'm going to go in into politics and run like presidential campaigns. So I'm like craving the same kind of action, but I am not doing it on my dad's terms until she gets pulled in, and notably she gets pulled in in part because of a conversation where Logan is like. Literally, we need a woman in these meetings yeah. to make us look better. And he's Shiv, like, I don't hey, care who you... it is. Yeah. Shiv, you know, actually, I've always thought you were the, my smartest kid. And uh, in my in my heart of hearts, I always figured you would be the one to take over for me. Uh, which ends up, like, is absolutely just a play. But it hooks Shiv just enough to, like, get her to come in and jump through a whole lot of hoops. Um, so she she's my favorite on that level, but then like from a there are parts of succession that are genuinely and I really can't like undersell this. There are parts of succession that are genuinely hilarious. Yep. Yeah, like, it's truly, shockingly funny. Truly funny. And from that perspective, like the Tom Gregg thing is like, man, every time they're on screen together, I'm just like, oh, this is gonna be good. It's gonna be a great moment. And it almost always is. I, I kept texting you. I'm trying to remember which episode it was, but it was like I kept texting you like quotes from the show because I couldn't believe what I was what I was watching. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe all these amazing, yeah. amazing quotes uh, from from this show. Uh, and it, 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 it'll be super hilarious for like half an hour. And then it's like, what is what is happening? Like, this is yeah. this is hurtful. Uh, it, it's just a, sh- a shockingly funny, well-written, like realistic, tough, <laughs> like, I don't know. It is, it's a shocking show. I would say there's a, I have a favorite character and I have a character I relate to. Okay. Favorite character first. All right. Favorite character is Freya. Huh. Okay. Interesting. I think there's something and it only comes up a couple of times. Where you're like, oh, this runs deep. This character doesn't get enough screen time because this character is real. And people have put love into this character. And it doesn't uh it doesn't get enough screen time to sort of uh to to balance out how much thought and effort and love went into this this character. So she, like she walks into a room it, during the Senate hearings, and I can't remember what joke she cracks, but she cracks a joke. That is genuinely disarming and kind of does the job of disarming people, but is like, oh, you know, tough audience or whatever. And it's not hokey. It's real and homespun. And she's mm-hmm. just this like she's worked so hard to create this sort of homespun, affable personality that also is like a super tough woman in business that that, uh, you know, knows she's not going to get her do 
in a lot of situations. She's physically small. You can just see how much love is poured into this character. Holly Hunter just like makes it sparkle on, mm-hmm. on top of everything else. It's just so, it's so good. I, I, I could, a close second would, for favorite would be Roman. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Roman is like, Roman is the source of a lot of the humor and it's a lot of fun to watch this sort of like fuck up with the ability that has like superpowers that only sort of manifest themselves toward the end of the second season. You're like, yeah, we knew you, mm-hmm. were, you were like, you knew, we knew you were attempting to hide your things because you were not supposed to be the good one. Yeah. Um, you see, oh, that's the other thing that's so real about the show is everybody's playing the roles they were assigned. And and so Shiv is the, the one that's not playing. I'm not even playing your game. You're like, well, you weren't invited, so that's fine because you're the woman. Yeah. Roman, you're the, you know, like you're the fuck up of the group that's included. Cam, you're the non-entity. And Kendall, you're the chosen one. Don't fuck it up. And he does. So. In epic fashion. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to say some of these like quotes that I had to send you, like where Roman was like, I'll kill Kendall and be crowned king just like Hamlet. Or maybe not. I don't care. Like, (laughs) (laughs) uh, like, and it wasn't like, I don't, and not, maybe I won't be crowned king. It's like, or maybe that's not what happened in Hamlet. I don't care. Like, it's just like, he's so like in the exact moment at that time. It's like, uh, wow, a private plane. It's like, I'm in a band, a very white, very wealthy band. It's like, I'm in you too. Like Greg's little commentary. (laughs) (laughs) And then when Cam is like, I have an indecent proposal for you, Shiv. Oh, wow. I'm guessing you haven't seen that movie. Oh no, no. It's his favorite. (laughs) Like, yeah, uh, my, one of my favorites is when Greg is trying to blackmail Tom and like Tom realizes that Greg is blackmailing him and he's just like, Wait, are oh you trying to God, blackmail me? Greg, Greg. <laughs> and at the, at the, finally, at the very end, he's like, I accept your blackmail. He's like, no, 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 it's not like that. You don't know. No, no, no. I accept your blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny. It's so put together. Um, uh, and then, you know, it's it's emotionally affecting. I would say that the character I identify with is Kendall. Um, so I will say one thing about Rhea. Um, the reason, and I admire her strength. I admire that she has the one person in this whole show that says no. Just flat out who has the moral sort of like floor to say, okay, I'll, I'll hang out and see what things are like. And she goes, oh no, I don't like this. And when I quit, I work. So I, I told you that my CEO told me, get away from your dad as fast as you can, not as fast as you can, but like, get away. It's time. You should not be doing this. Uh, you, and, and she didn't know how to tell me, but it's like, Hey, you need to decouple your identity from your dad so that you can be your own person. And narcissists make this really difficult. Rhea went to go quit her job and say, Hey, I'm, you know, it's not because it's so hard, right? It's, I don't, this isn't what I came here for. This isn't what I want. And he goes, oh, okay, okay. I, I know this game. What do you want? And she goes, no, you don't get it. I don't want anything. I'm done. And he goes, all right, I recognize this game. Like, look, all right, what is it? Is it money? Is it, you know, what, what, what do we need to, like, he was trying to, he thought that she was opening a negotiation. And I had this literal exact conversation with my dad when I finally, uh, like I had said, when I, I took this lady's advice to heart, my CEO, 
And I went to my dad when I went to work for my next thing for him. He hired me literally the day that I got laid off from the, his previous company uh, and said, hey, I'm going to need you on this new thing. And I was like, oh, my God, I wasn't sure what I was going to do for a living. Thank you. And but I'm going to do it on my timetable, which means I'm going to work for you for three months and then I'm I'm gone and I'm going to figure out what's next. And he goes, yeah, no, no, that's a great deal. And at three months, I went, OK, dad, it's been three months. I'm moving on. I have a job offer somewhere. I'm going to take it. I'm going to go do this thing. And he goes, all right, what do you want? Is it money? What is it? <laughs> and I was like, no, you don't get it. This I'm done. He's like, okay, okay. Oh, it. And it was like exact same conversation. And that's why I'm so emotional about this show because it speaks so deeply to some shit that I've been through. Yeah. Um, because it's so well-written, these characters are so well-realized. I have experienced them in my fucking life. Um, and I have been the Kendall role in my life that, yeah. you know, thank God it didn't pass 30 where I wasn't 40 still dealing with this stuff. I mean, I still am, but not in that same way as Ke uh, Kendall would. Uh, anyway, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's very personal to me and I was very personally rocked by this show. And that's why like, <laughs> when you're like, I don't understand, I would, you don't understand at the end of like 10 minutes before the end of the last episode. And I wanted to, I want to have the last thing and give you a minute to talk about the turn and get your analysis on it. But before that last little bit, all I could think about is how deeply, deeply I hated Logan Roy. And I've never hated a character in a piece of fiction. Cause I can usually be like, Hey, it's character. It's written. And I'm like, Nope, mm -hmm. this is not a written character. This is a captured character. They have captured this yeah. character and I hate him so much. And I was just seething with rage at this character uh, that had been, you know, somebody wrote, it's fucking crazy. So anyway, yeah. I just, I just wanted to say that. And then there was the turn and I want you to kind of like, this is seriously for anybody that hasn't watched the show. This is like the final spoiler warning. If you're like, oh, yeah. no, 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 I'm going to stick it out. Like we'll catch you on the flip side. Like come do this after you watch the last part of the last season. So the the turn, so a lot of the second season is centered around, in part, this uh, hostile takeover, but that hostile takeover becomes way more serious when it, it leaks that the cruises division of this company has had a long-standing pattern of serious misbehavior uh, in a systematic fashion, including, like, Sexual assault, murder, accidental death, um, like people dying on cruises, uh, lots and lots of harassment. And that, that, like, they go through all these different stages of trying to cover it up, trying to paint it as, you know, not being what it's being presented as. Like, this was, you know, this was the. This is not a systematic cover-up so much as it was just, you know, this person who conveniently died, uh, who was high up in the cruises department, but who also just died. Uh, you know, it was, we it stopped with him. We didn't know anything about it. It keeps going until finally in the last episode, they built to the point where it's like the investors are all going to flee unless we give them a head of sufficient value. And the head we think it should be logan roy logan obviously is not going to let that happen and so then it becomes so then he talks about 
uh, I think the season, the episode before ends with the line like he's talking to Shiv after they've already tried to sell someone else out and it hasn't worked. And he says, no, no, I think we're going to need a blood sacrifice. And what he means is like once one of the family is going to have to go down. And so the the episode progresses and he like goes through like different modes of trying to figure out like who he's going to throw under the bus. And eventually what it comes down to is he has this conversation with Kendall who is, I don't know where he is in the birth order. He's, I think the second after, so he's like the new firstborn. Okay. After. Yeah. Yeah. He, he definitely seems like the firstborn. Uh, I think actually like one of the people in the show refers to him. Yeah. They're as like, the Oh, you're the first. I mean, them. yeah. They're like, yeah. you're the firstborn. Well, second, I guess after, you know, the one that we don't count. Yeah. Kendall is also a drug addict and he accidentally killed a guy in the first season in a like an extremely chapaquitic moment uh literally basically just chapaquitic yep yeah you're like wow this is really unrealistic and you're like no wait hold on this actually happened hold on this 100 percent happened and a thing that that uh logan roy holds over him for a lot of the second season he basically sits him down and he says it's gonna have to be you you are going to have to go and take the fall for this you are even though you actually were not remotely involved in this at all i am throwing you to the wolves you have to go up and publicly admit that you knew about all this you directed it you covered it up this is this is like a scandal to the point where there is a term that gets thrown around inside the company which is nrpi which means no real person involved uh which is to say like someone went overboard oh it was just like a waiter they're not a real person. No, they weren't so staff. It, it was like it was like a stowaway, or it was you know, yeah, somebody who's of no consequence, like a prostitute or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and so they 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 like shorten it to a code code term, which is NRPI, to like classify like, oh, this is one of those. And so he's like, you're gonna have to go on public television, and you're gonna have to be the face of this, and like I, your father, am telling you, you have to go take the fall for this horrendous series of crimes because like, because my, I, my company needs to survive. I need to keep control of it. And so I need you to do this for me. Jeremy Strong's performance in that scene is fucking incredible. Yeah. Uh-huh. Dad. Uh, his, his performance, the entire show is incredible, yeah. but it uh-huh. comes to a head. Dad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Dad. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like, if you, that's such, I don't know. It's so good. But so anyway, it, it builds to he it follows him flying back, getting to the press conference. And like like Brandon just demonstrated, a lot of Kendall's moments in the show are are him being like such He's a zombie. Like so, so yeah, he's a zombie. He, he like he has had his soul utterly crushed at this point. And he is borderline just like lifeless. But like in a way, I mean it's not like he's it's a lifeless performance. It's a very good performance. But he is so absolutely beaten down at the fact that not only is he mortified at having killed someone, but he also knows that the only reason he's not in jail is because his dad covered it up and he can't go against his dad. Until he goes to this press conference and gets in front of all these microphones, pulls out a statement to start reading it and then folds it up. And instead just like, he pulls out his cards that he hand wrote. Dad. Yeah. Yeah. 
in like in like in, in, in such elegant fashion, which is one of my favorite things about Kindle is that he's actually extremely capable in a lot of ways, despite the fact that he fucks up a lot. Uh, and he just like turns into this eloquent, confident person. It just like announces that his dad's reign is done and like throws his dad under the bus for the entire thing. Yeah. Talks about how he was elected to be like thrown to them as a worthy sacrifice, but how and how like he thought the press would eat that up and instead actually like my dad is the problem here and he is the source of like a systematic like pattern of abuse and malfeasance in this company and i think that it's time that his reign is over yep and if you think that uh somebody that a control freak like him would allow multi-million dollar payouts to happen over and over again without his signature on it you better believe that's not true yeah and i have i have documents with me that point directly to him cousin greg and is like fucking coming down from the mountain who's been the dark horse of this entire fucking two season arc (laughs) oh man it was incredible it also like the more i think back so my theory about this is that this was planned i think i think that shiv and kendall planned this that is not that is up for debate that is not like explicitly said in the episode at all it would be so uh, satisfying if left true. in the open um but that's what i think and if that's true it casts a lot of stuff from from the season in a different light looking back at it and I, like i want to watch it again with this in mind and see if like that theory holds up and also like what else shiv and kindle do that like knowing where it's going to end up if if certain things look different yeah God, it would be if they did add that layer on top of this, if that was true and you have to go back and reanalyze how things work from that from that level. This is one of like the all time like fucking Houdini on top of what is already an incredible, authentic, affecting show. That would be like a, the Houdini, like m- like prestige of the of the television century. Like I've I'm I'm speechless, like thinking about it. It's bananas. But there are all these moments like like Shiv. I mean, Shiv obviously set a lot of it up. Like she's the one that set Holly Hunter up in the first place, Mm -hmm. like getting her in like installed as CEO, knowing she was going to just get crushed. But there's also like when Holly Hunter, when Rhea first starts getting in good with Logan, there's an episode that ends where uh, Rhea has just like screwed over Shiv. Like she's tricked her into outing herself. Uh, by like telling her she can apply for a job as the CEO at the competing company. Yeah. Which then like she immediately feeds to Logan to use to like get her off his back. And she calls Kendall and Kendall doesn't answer like, Hey Shiv, like why are you calling me or anything? He just answers and she's like, I think there's a problem. Like, I think we have a problem. Uh, And they have this like very matter of fact conversation as if like they like that's a weird way to start a conversation unless you're like yeah. in collaboration with that person. You're right. That is weird. And uh in the last episode, there's a couple other things, but one, the last episode, they're talking about like Kendall get it like basically Logan is finally coming to the conclusion that it's gonna have to be Kendall and he's talking to Shiv about it. And Shiv says something to the effect of like, Well, I mean, it's gonna have to be like we talked about. 
and you don't know what they talked about because a weird thing about Succession is that a bunch of shit happens in between the episodes that you don't. Yeah, know they about. just they they don't even leave it to the imagination. They're like, look, this wasn't important enough to film, and you're like, yeah, uh, I would love to have seen that actually. Yeah, and you realize that, like Shiv has been angling this whole time to like be the one in the room when Logan is gonna say that, and and like just subtly pushing Kendall up to to be like the option just enough in a way that like brian cox doesn't catch on but kendall is like he's suddenly she's like made sure that she's like he's in the right spot to be able to like bring it all down and that whole thing started with with kendall telling shiv like i'm not gonna be the one i am not gonna be the ceo but if you become the ceo you have to take care of me because without this, I don't know what I can do. And so like, you know, smash cut to the end of the episode, the end of the season where it appears to me that Shiv and Kendall have been working together and Kendall has put himself in a position where he absolutely can't become the CEO, but Shiv absolutely can because she was already kind of the favorite and Kendall and her are now in cahoots. So like, Kendall has in a way like cemented the fact that he will be taken care of the way that he requested and Shiv may finally get to take over her dad's company. Yeah. That's the other thing that's like, she's like pretty liberal and here's this, you know, like conservative bastion of, uh, yeah. <laughs> of opinionated, uh, right wing news. Yeah. It's a, f- it, hmm, that's an, I really like that theory. I want to kind of chew on that some more because I would love for that to be true. Um, and you're right. They they left too many things kind of hanging there, like, you know, take care of me. And then there's a couple of conversations and you're like, those don't fit with the rest of this unless something else is happening. And yeah. there isn't a lot of wasted space or material. Yeah. Huh. All right. There's also lots of weird scenes where like Kendall is just off on his own. Like, Ken- Kendall's like, you know, the family's doing something and Kendall's on a jet coming from somewhere. And, and like Kendall, a lot of times is either he's just like dead or he's like literally shuffling off to the bathroom to like do some blow before a meeting. <laughs> but they will show him in all these scenes and he's like neck deep in documents. Yes. And it's like, what? What is he doing? Like, like why? What is he always doing off on his own? Just like like crunching numbers constantly do they never tell you why he's doing this yeah and i think like that like that was the other part that got me thinking like okay well kendall may be up to something on his own but he's honest with himself about the fact that he can't be the ceo because he killed a guy yeah so like he must be working with someone else who could that be and then that's where i started to like look at shiv so kendall basically coming into his own and saying and and developing his own identity and Tom finally saying, I'm not happy and mm-hmm. it's pretty fucked up that you decided we should have an open relationship on our wedding night. Those two things were like the most satisfying things that happened in the course of this show. Yeah. Like, you know, people discovering their humanity, like maybe these people are ir- irredeemable, but you hope that there is at least the discovery of the possibility of humanity. And so those glimpses like that are really, um, that, to me, the most satisfying part of the show. And it mm-hmm. feels hopeful coming from a place where I'm so deeply personally <laughs> affected by what I'm seeing because it feels so personal. Mm-hmm. Um, it reflects so much of what I've experienced in you know the first 30 years of my life. 
that that the idea of these people being redeemable um, is was an important message of hope for me, <laughs> like in the show. Yeah. So yeah, big fan. Good job, good job, Jesse Armstrong. Into it. Excellent work. Excellent, Excellent work. Excellent work, everybody. Well, that was a great A topic. We should probably move on to our B topic now. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we kind of knew this was going to happen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we should probably wrap it up here, Chris. We're uh, we did we did talk about television for a good long time. Yeah. On the off chance that like anyone has made it to this part point in the episode and not just given up. Thank you yeah. for coming on this journey. Yeah, exchange your uh, receipt for having gone here by through tweet form for a free Tootsie Roll Pop, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we will mail that in because surely tomorrow I will have an abundance of them. <laughs> Everybody, thank you so much for real from both of us. Like we we love doing this. This is a lot of fun for us. We love when you come along with us. We'll probably talk about technology at some point in the future, but I, I Chris, you'll attest this is all I've been thinking about. I had to trudge through my workday when all I could really think about was succession. I know. I know. Yeah. It just gets in you. It's in my bones. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Uh, if you have uh, more topics, we have a topic that we want to we ta- want to talk about soon. Uh, it's from one of our listener suggestions. If you have more topics that you want to suggest, you can get at us at Copy Paste Pod on Twitter. I am on Twitter. I am Tev Viking. I am 15 Letter Max. And we will see you again next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye, y'all.